My name is Rob Wong. This is the Great Date Guy. And if you hear like bird chirping or insane rooster crowing in the background, um, the reason for that is actually the same reason why you haven't heard from me or Scott over the past few weeks. I've been in like a, a serious life transition moving from California to North Carolina. I'm literally in the middle of a forest right now. Um, <laughs> um and just kind of starting a new chapter in my life. Um, but, but along with that transition to the new chapter in my life, I want to talk about a transition for this podcast, actually. Um, this is going to be the last episode for a while. And I may circle back around to this if I have new stuff for you, updates that I think are critical that I haven't talked about before. Um, but I think that this podcast is mostly complete at this point. It's all the information that you could possibly need to go from socially anxious introvert to someone who's fantastic and getting like five to 10 matches every single week uh, on, on the dating app of your choice and going out into the world and routinely meeting women who are giving you the eye, right? This is, this, this is pretty much it. But if I had to summarize everything, right? If I could include all the new information that I've accumulated and pass it to my past self, just as they were getting started on their dating career, then I, this is this is what this podcast would be about. Uh, this is exactly what the podcast would be about. This is what I would say. So I've got seven rules for you here. And, um, well, who knows if it'll be seven by the end. We're, we're planning on seven. It may, it may or may not actually be that number. But seven is the number we're aiming for. And here's where I'd start. So number one, um, I, w I would tell past me to try less. And <laughs> that's sort of counterintuitive, I think. Um, th there's a lot of cultural flack around trying too hard, right? Like, what does that even really mean? What do, and, and, and I think this is related, but I want to break it down so it's easier to understand. So when someone is trying too hard, um, it's a natural reflex a behavior that happens when we think that we're lower value than the person that we're talking to. We are uncertain of our status with that person. And so you may notice this behavior showing up with your boss, with the women that you date that you think are out of your league. Uh, this might show up when you meet a celebrity or like an important investor. You will turn to the same response again and again and again. And for most people, that will be trying harder by putting more energy into the interaction, by trying to be funnier, right? And, and in general, this has a show up from a place of anxiety and lack, right? And for a lot of people, especially women who are out on a date, they're not there <laughs> to try to make you feel better about your anxiety, but they will reflexively want to, right? And um, it's just kind of more work for them. So rather than doing that, right, an important thing to remember is to do the inner work to actually be okay with ourselves, regardless of how uncomfortable we feel. A lot of that is going to be meditative work, right? A lot of that's going to be the inner work of just how do I be with discomfort? That's it. 
you don't have to go to therapy. You don't have to spill your guts out in front of some person that you're paying like $200 an hour. But you do have to cultivate the ability to sit still with discomfort and not try to run away. And as you breathe and that discomfort dissipates, then you begin to really get rooted in this stronger sense of self. I am not going to try to accommodate for this other person unless they're really flailing around. That's the energy that you want to bring in. But in the meantime, if you are not there, if you haven't done the inner work, then one quick reframe that you can use from time to time is just checking in with yourself. Right? Slowing things down and noticing, am I overcompensating? Am I overreacting in this situation? And if you are, <laughs> it's time to stop. Right? Notice how much energy you're putting into your voice. Notice how quickly you're speaking. Are you trying to fill in all of the silences? Are you letting her pick up some of the slack? And it's, it's stuff like that, right? Basically, it's how much energy are you investing into the interaction to try to keep it afloat? Because some part of your brain believes that if you keep this interaction afloat, it will increase your value as a person. I'll say that again. The reason why we do this is because some part of your mind believes that if you keep the interaction afloat, it will raise your value as a person. And this is the reason why we do that in our work, right? Because when you believe fully in your bones that you are valuable as a person and you have nothing to do to compensate for that, then this behavior will disappear pretty much entirely, right? And there'll be moments where you catch it and you'll have to work through it again, right? And for that, I recommend really finding a coach who knows what the fuck they're doing because it can be really easy and tempting in these situations to try to reframe it like, oh yeah, I have high value. I make 200K a year, I drive a nice car. And those things are good temporarily, like the first time that we reframe things. Uh, but then after that, they start working less and less and less. That's the danger of just trying to reframe things logically. Um, it doesn't work in the long run. It's not a sustainable change because who you are on the inside, right? Who you see yourself as hasn't changed. So I think that's enough about that. Let's move on. Number two. So this is going to sound very general and I'll break it, break it down and get more specific with you so that it's more useful, but Dating and relationships are about balance and the shared energy in the space, right? It's not, how do I feel? It's not, how does she feel? It's how do we feel mutually as we are interacting with each other in the moment. But when you begin dating, it can be very tempting to land in either side, right? One is, Hey, I'm going to spend all of my time and energy accommodating for this other human being. I'm going to make sure that they have an optimal time and I'm not going to give a shit about what happens to me. Um, and that will work for a little while until you burn out and then you don't have any energy because you haven't been taking care of what you want. You might even get resentful at the other person, even though they're not forcing you to do this, right? You are choosing to show up like this. 
And obviously this behavior doesn't work in the long run. Now it can be very, very easy to go in the direction of no more Mr. Nice Guy, right? Afterwards, I'm going to flip the script. I'm going to go the other way, right? I'm only going to focus on me. What do I want? What do I need? And that's it, right? Fuck this other person. I'm just going to do this for me. And in this situation, it also, I mean, it's good, it's good for growth, right? Anytime that you're on one extreme, the idea is to try to recalibrate in the other direction until you're in a pleasant medium. You need to go down this road if you've been on the other path the entire time. But the downfall here is if you only care about you, then the other person really gets to feel that you aren't interested in them, right? And the interactions will either become very platonic <laughs> or, or they'll leave the interaction entirely because this person wants to feel wanted, right? That's why they're looking for a relationship. They're not there to operate in parallel with another human being who's completely self-contained in their own little glass hamster bubble while they do the same thing in their glass hamster bubble. There's no point in having a relationship like that. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why would you even bother? Um, but, but there's a lot of advice out there that is pointing in that direction without making it clear that, hey, this is the end result. You'll feel more removed from other people than ever before. It will ruin your inner peace. The moment that you learn how to establish it for yourself, interacting with other people will fuck you up, right? Um, because now you're not accommodating for them and they're not accommodating for you. So what's left is this weird morass of conflict and discomfort. The real answer here is somewhere in between. It's understanding that it's sort of this dance of both, right? I'm going to do both. I'm going to look at what's needed in the mutual energetic space. I'm going to take care of my partner when they need help. And I'm going to trust that if I'm dating the right person, this person is going to take care of me when I need help. But I'm going to communicate about it. And I want to find a person who will communicate with me about it when they need help, rather than just it slowly going into a Cold War situation where each of us like fucking hates the other person. But neither of us has talked about why we're annoyed or that we're even annoyed in the first place. We just want the other person to understand based off of our demeanor. Yeah. So I guess this kind of segues um, into another point, which is that um, communicate. <laughs> yeah. It can be really easy inside of dating to just sort of like hope that you're picking up on things correctly and hope that the other person is picking up on what you want and need. And that maybe someday you'll run into a person who can just read your fucking mind and vice versa. Right? We, we won't have to talk. We'll just know. And, you know, there there is a chance that you'll find that person, but it's like one in a billion, right? <laughs> like you need to find someone who is raised exactly the same way that you were raised. And they communicate and their their quirks. All of those things are exactly the same as yours. So you might as well be dating yourself at that point, which if you haven't done the inner work, right? If you are a resentful person when things don't go your way, believe me, you don't, you don't want that date, right? You, do, you don't want that relationship. If you don't like who you are, you do not want to date someone who reminds you of who you are. Or, or maybe you do. Maybe you do. Maybe that would be a good growing experience, right? It, it probably will be. But not if you don't have the toolkit. You're not willing to do the inner work. It'll just be a shitty time for you, right? Um, so 
it's really important then to one communicate about when things don't work for you communicate about what you want uh, and two i think just as important find someone who's willing to communicate with you when things get all squishy and weird on their end if they're having a hard time because some old childhood wound of theirs got poked um they better fucking be willing to communicate rather than just disappearing off into the mountains and like meanwhile they're like resentfully hoping that you circle back around and give them an apology for something that you don't even know is happening right in the background that's the worst kind of partnership in my opinion pretty pretty t i hate using this word but this feels accurate in this situation it's pretty toxic um and a sign that this isn't going to work out in the long run okay so moving forward rule number three try and I know this is sort of the opposite of try less, but what I mean by that is you need to get your reps in, right? You need to actually be going on dates. You need to try things out, even if it feels like they'll be painful. Um, just because you're putting less energy into interactions doesn't mean that you get to sit back on your couch and then sort of wait for like pussy to arrive on your doorstep. That's not the way that it works. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the way that it works unless you're like the giga chad right even he needs to go out into the world in order to meet people right they're not just beating down a path to his doorstep you need to put some effort into extending beyond what is comfortable for you it means taking social risks it means doing things that you think are unlikely to work because the more that we just believe that our minds and emotions presents us with a 100% realistic view of reality. This is how it is. My mind is telling me that I'm a fucking loser and no one wants to talk to me. And that's how it is. Right? The more we buy into that, the more it becomes the truth. Right? If I carry around that mindset, well, how likely am I going to be to even speak with that cute girl who's working behind the counter? Like, like 0%. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. She's going to shoot me down anyway. I'm unattractive. Right? And this is the incel mentality. This is why they get stuck. They don't believe they're attractive. So they don't take the actions of an attractive person. They never step outside of their illusory reality. So they never get an opportunity to prove that that reality is illusory. It's an illusion. And if you never break out of that illusion... Well, how long before it becomes the truth? If I don't go out, I'm going to, my social skills are going to decay, right? I'm not going to understand how to get along with people. And if I do that, then I'm not really going to make that much money because people are where money comes from, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to be poorer, right? I'm not going to be able to afford the food that I need. So I'm probably going to be eating a, a lot worse. I'm going to get into worse and worse shape, right? And then that's going to lower my self-esteem. And then I'm really going to feel unattractive. And then I might stop trying altogether. I might not buy nice clothes. I might not do the things that I want to do in the world because people are scary now, right? They're all trying to reject me. And gradually, I will arrive at a place where that becomes my reality. Belief is so powerful, right? Belief is so powerful. But the only way to change beliefs the things that define our reality is by doing things that allow us to take a peek around the belief. What's behind it? What's actually true? 
what's potentially true. And even if I get proof that my belief is true, once, I'm willing to try again and again and again until I disprove that belief, especially if it's one that really doesn't serve me, right? Like, I'll never get laid. That's going to suck, right? Imagine going the next 70 years with that belief set. <laughs> unless, unless like being like de facto virgin, like uh, a vir celibate, de facto celibate, right? Is, is deeply fulfilling as an idea for you, which it might be, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But unless that is something that you really find fulfilling, then having that belief will not serve. And there must be a willingness to act until the belief changes in order for life to change. I think that was four, maybe. I don't know. Let's, let's go into rule number four. So rule number four is along with that willingness to try, right? must also come the ability to recover. Because when we try and things don't go our way, our brains are going to become outcome dependent, right? Oh shit, the last time I tried to talk with that cute girl at the bar, I got destroyed emotionally. I got wrecked. I was so guilty and embarrassed and mad and sad and I felt rejected. And that hurts. That fucking hurts. And if we don't deal with that stuff as it arises, our brains learn very quickly. Oh, don't do that shit again. And so the next time you try to talk to a girl at the bar, you're, you won't be able to make eye contact. You'll stutter. Your nervous system will freak out and go into fight or flight. And you'll, you're going to say some shit that you wouldn't believe <laughs> that you're going to say. Or you might not be able to say anything at all. You might go into a full freeze response. Right? Um it's going to worsen the odds of you actually having successful interaction if you do not know how to deal with the emotional ramifications of failure. Learning that skill set is one of the most important things that you could ever do for yourself. I highly recommend hiring a coach that specifically works with that issue. Not a therapist, a coach. A therapist will allow you to get deeply into the story of what is happening, right? And a, and a poorly trained coach will do the same thing. They'll ask you why. They'll get you deep into the thoughts, right? They'll have you looking for patterns that happened in your childhood and then delving deep into the trauma or whatever. That is not the useful part. The useful part is how do I discharge this energy that is built up inside of me as a result of the emotions that I'm feeling, right? How do I be with this discomfort until it passes? And if you are not with a coach that understands how to do that, then they're just going to make the problem worse. You're going to get more and more reactive over time. Get help on this one, right? Or listen to past podcasts that I've done on this specific issue to get the step-by-step -step on how to go through with this. Even if you are doing the step-by-step, -step, though, it's really important to remember that working with someone who knows the end point of how it should feel, right? Whether or not you're doing it the right way, whether or not you're on track is going to be critical, because in the beginning, you're going to be feeling around in the dark and not actually going to know whether what you're doing is making things worse or better. Get help on this one. Number five. Understand that non-attachment is sort of the answer here, right? Not being attached to an outcome. And we just talked about that in the previous point. And one way to get deeper into that understanding, to embody that understanding, 
let me define that too, because I know I know we bandy that term about without actually talking about what it means. So what does it mean when you embody something of belief? It means that you do not ever have to convince yourself to believe the thing, right? So if I have embodied non-attachment, someone tells me, no, I can't make the date with you on Saturday. It's like, cool. I'm going to use that time for other things. <laughs> it's not out of like, a, it's a screw you, right? It's just like, all right, cool. Yeah, I got some extra time to do something that I love now, right? I'm going to go make a table. <laughs> I'm going to go find someone else to talk to. But you don't do it in a spiteful way. It's just like it doesn't affect you. And you're like, great, there's an upside to this. Let me lean into the upside. And you can't get there. You cannot get there by reframing, reframing, reframing. There needs to be a lived experience in order to change that belief. I need to be able to prove to myself that I'll be okay after I get rejected or experience something that feels like rejection. Because a lot of times they're not actual rejections. He might be a no to Saturday, but a yes to Sunday. But if you treat it like a rejection, then it will become an actual rejection because you'll never follow up with her for, with communication. You might give her the cold shoulder or treat her resentfully. And then she'll be like, Ooh, fuck this person and then move forward because clearly this person doesn't understand how to deal with what they're going through internally. And she's going to be right. She's going to be absolutely fucking right. So this kind of thing can take time to adjust, right? But one thing that can be helpful here is understanding this thing. Right? No one is going to make you complete. The best relationships that you can get into will improve your sense of safety and well-being. But most relationships, even the best ones, and especially in the beginning, most relationships will give you moments of challenge and feeling awful. There's this collective fantasy, even, even for me, unconsciously it sneaks in from time to time. Man, if I was just having more sex, things would be really great, right? Man, if I was just dating more women, if I was just dating the girl of my dreams, I would be so happy. My life would be so good. And understand that actually, no, <laughs> actually, no. Um, usually relationships are a repeat of the last relationship that we were in, especially if we haven't been doing the internal work, right? Especially if we haven't been getting more comfortable with discomfort, especially if we haven't been responsible for our own experience of reality. Well, fuck this. That was their fault. You know, it was the person that I was dating. That's the reason why the last five relationships went the same way, <laughs> right? It's really easy to fall into that trap. I know I definitely have. I always put it on the other person. The things began to change for me when I realized, oh, shit, I am hallucinating this entire reality. It's all happening within my brain. My experience of reality is something I've literally created for myself. You know, they're doing stuff out there, presumably. But everything that I experience is something that my brain has given me, which means that I have control over what happens in my reality. And learning how to establish that control is an important piece. Now, this is not the woo-woo hippie bullshit of like, ooh, just tap into your aura or whatever. Do enough yoga, then you'll be able to control realities. No. <laughs> no. No, you need to learn the mechanics that allow you to control your neurochemistry, right? 
you need to learn the biomechanics of how your brain works and what actions will allow you to control the way your brain reacts in certain situations. That's what this podcast is about. That's what meditation is about. And if you take on any spiritual practice that way, then you can begin to understand how to actively shift and control your experience of reality regardless of what is happening to you. One of the things that I've been playing with lately is I fucking hate mosquito bites. That's not really much to play with. I just hate them, right? Um, and so when I get them, there's usually like two weeks of reaction. It's itchy. It swells. It takes forever to fucking go away. And I just got two bites. But rather than going into this weird spiral of resentment and hatred towards all mosquitoes and wanting to genocide them, which is still kind of a background thing for me, I would really rather that they all just fucking died, right? But rather than going on that thought loop, and that's exactly what that is, because I can't change this situation. I can make small adjustments, but I cannot rid the world of mosquitoes. So rather than engaging with that thought loop and making things worse for myself, I just meditated through the itching. And using some of the techniques that I've learned, I adjusted my mental concept of the experience of itching. So now it's not bothersome and annoying and a problem. It actually feels kind of good. It's like a little mini massage on a very specific area of my body, right? And as I meditated more through that experience, it was the process of calming down my nervous system and as a result, calming down my immune system, which is the reason why that reaction was so big in the first place, right? Histamines, nervous system reaction, immune system reaction, immune system attacks, and then we have this giant swelling that doesn't go away for a few weeks. This bite has gone away in like two or three days for me, right? And it started off as a big allergic reaction. But by implementing the principles that we were just talking about, I controlled my body's reaction to these bites. Therefore, I controlled my experience of reality. But let's, let's tie it all together, right? Let's bring it back to the main point here. No one, no one is going to make you feel complete and whole. That's just not going to happen. If you do not understand how to make yourself feel complete and whole on your own, what are the fucking odds that someone else is going to be able to hack your brain and do it for you? I'm going to say that again. If you do not understand how to make yourself feel complete and whole and happy, what are the odds that someone else is going to be able to crack that puzzle for you? No one understands you better than you. can't be done. You have the most first-hand experience with yourself. Only you have the best shot of doing that. And you might run into people who can do it for you, right? I might be able to help you with that. But your dating partner certainly is not. <laughs> they aren't trained for that, right? Even if they're a therapist, they didn't sign up to do that. They're not out there looking for a project and a fix-me-up. It is up to you to address those things. And if you don't do the prep work in the beginning, it's like walking into the store and hoping that someone gives you a handout, which might happen. They might be a very compassionate person, but they didn't sign up for that. They signed up for a partnership, right? When you go out into the world and you're looking for a relationship, you want one that makes you better, right? That gives you energy, that makes you feel good. What do you think they're looking for? 
probably the exact same thing, right? And if I'm showing up as a dumpster fire, <laughs> they're having to put out that dumpster fire continuously. What are the odds that they're going to stay in that relationship for the long run? They might give it a few years, but sooner or later, they're going to throw in their hat, right? This is too much. This person isn't changing. They're not being responsible for their shit. They keep blaming me for the negative emotions that they're feeling. Not going to stick around for that. Sooner or later, enough will be enough. Something will happen that will break the camel's back and they'll leave. And so that needs to be addressed. So this is, this is already getting to be a very long podcast. So I think I'm going to draw the line here at this last point, point number six. This is the difference between a platonic first date and a first date with chemistry. It's as simple as physical touch. That's pretty much it, right? There can be verbal escalation. You can talk about sex. That's really important. Um, uh, and I think that it does improve the situation. If you do, if you can have some like nice bantery conversation about sex and sexuality, rather than like a deep philosophical dive into it, right? It, it's got to be a fun conversation, not a textbook uh, being recited at another person, right? You want to engage the emotions, not the logic, because that's what attraction is about. But the other part of this is how much physical touch is occurring. And if there's no physical touch, it can be easy for, like, for instance, if you were on a date with a girl and she never touched you once, right? It'd be easy to walk away with the impression that this person is just not fucking interested, right? They're not attracted to me. They don't even want to touch me. Well, you can imagine that the same thing might be happening in her head, right? She agreed to go out on a date with you, which means at the very least, she's at least curious or interested in you, right? Sexually, emotionally, physically, something. And if you never actually tried to make a move, <laughs> then she would probably be right in assuming that you're not actually that interested in her, right? At least from the way that you're expressing that. Um, so getting out of your own head and being willing to take a few risks when it comes to touch, when it comes to touch is, is actually one of the most important building blocks of establishing a non-platonic first day. So this can be really helpful. Um, when you're planning out what you're doing on your first date, you don't want to be sitting across the table from her. You want to be sitting next to her. So touch can be happening. You want to pick things that will allow you that will introduce touch into the dynamic without you needing to like take huge ass risks, right? Rock climbing is a really good one, right? You do have to have some degree of physical touch as you set up, right? If you're helping her snap into her harness or whatever, if you're trying to protect her from falling, touch will be there. Partner dancing is another good one, right? So just learning different contexts where touch is just something that naturally occurs uh, will rapidly improve the results that you get with dating. And if you don't know how to begin that conversation, then one really important thing is just to begin asking, right? Like, hey, I'd like to cuddle. Would you be interested in that? <laughs> and if she's a no, then you'd be non-attached, right? You don't take it personally. You just move forward with the conversation like nothing happened after you take time to address whatever emotions are there for you. 
And then later on, if something else occurs to you as, as something that you want, and this harkens back to something that we were just talking about, right? Earlier on in this podcast, know what you want, then ask for it. <laughs> and then eventually she'll either say yes or no, right? And if she says no to all of your things, then if she still agrees to go on another date with you because you haven't been taking things personally, then ask then, right? But come at it authentically. Don't do it constantly. Like, oh, how about now? How about now? No, when you actually crave it, when you feel that moment of connection with her and you're just like, oh, yeah, I really want to really be physically close with this person right now. Hug. That's your opportunity, right? That's your opportunity to communicate about it. In the beginning, um, there was this thought in my head of like, I should just know when to do these things. I shouldn't have to like ask her or get permission. I should just, you know, I should be able to read the situation and just do the thing. And, you know, you can cultivate that skill. So that is one approach to doing it. But you can, you, you need to understand that that's not the only viable approach. Um, I have a friend who's getting so incredibly late <laughs> and all he does is have conversations about consent. You don't need to be some super suave mind reader in order to be really good at me. So I think that's all the time that we have for today. And that's all the time that we have for this podcast for now, I guess. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the final episode of The Great Date Guide for now. Um, and I hope that you got something amazing out of it. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to give us a rating, even if uh, I'm not going to be actively recording episodes, leaving a trailhead for other people to discover this podcast and get value from it. Um, it's kind of a bro move. So <laughs> if that speaks to you, uh, if this was useful for you and you want this to be, to be useful to other people, uh, then do that. And if not, don't. All right. In the meantime, love you. Thank you for listening. And uh, I'll catch you around another time, another place. Peace.